Hey, hi! Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, I'm a programmer at TIFF now, and this is The Other Thing I Do. This week, as we race headlong towards next Thursday's opening of the 48th Annual Toronto International Film Festival, I'm offering a treat from The Vault. Aaron Abrams discussing Harold Franklin and Bill Murray's 1990 heist comedy, Quick Change. Why Quick Change? Because the second season of Children Ruin Everything, the delightful sitcom starring Aaron and Megan Rath and friend of the show Anna Sesmer, is premiering next month on The CW in the US, and it's a lot of fun, and you should be watching it. You should also be watching it in Canada, where it airs Mondays at 9pm, same as on The CW in the States, and available to stream on ctv.ca and Crave. And even though we recorded this eight and a half years ago, dear God was Quick Change a fun movie to talk about. It's the one where Bill Murray, Gina Davis, and Randy Quaid pull off the perfect bank robbery, only to find they can't get out of New York City with the loot. It's an exquisite comedy of errors that sank like a stone on its original release, only to become a cult classic and probably still the best thing Bill Murray has ever done. So let's roll back to episode two and hear why that is. This is someone else's movie. This is cool. This is like this is like you're the first person I we we I don't actually personally know to be doing this. Right. Yeah, so this is this is how we are meeting. Technically. Yeah, we are. We're gonna basically, meet and discuss a movie. We passed in a hallway at TIFF. I'm quite sure. Uh, the year you were there with young people fucking mm-hmm. the uh, the film you co-wrote co-star in, and um, which people should is it on streaming services? It's a whole thing. No. It's a whole thing because the company folded, and so it was up on Netflix for a while, and now it's dis- been disappeared. Really? Yeah. Oh. It's sort of wrapped up in litigation and things like that. Jesus. So, yeah, it's very tough have, to find. I have the Blu-ray, so if anybody wants to borrow it, sure, or legally download on Twitter. I'm sure, that's a, I'm sure there's it's places probably. online where you could do that. I think that I, w- I would actually worry about searching for something called Young People. Oh yeah, good luck with that. Good luck with that. You're gonna who knows what you're gonna get yeah. if you illegally download that. Even if you put the asterisk in there, you're asking for trouble. Sure. Uh, so the film we're talking about is Quick Change mm-hmm. uh, from 1990, co-directed by Bill Murray and Howard Franklin. Um, if you haven't seen the, the film, by the time you listen to this, please stop now, hit pause, <laughs> go watch it. It's very short. We'll wait. Uh, yeah. It's uh, it is one of those movies that somehow got lost. I guess is the way to describe it. It opened in the summer of 1990 and it tanked, right. which is now inconceivable like it's unimaginable to me that that movie wasn't as big a hit as anything else that year I certainly haven't met anyone who doesn't have a soft spot in their heart for it who has sought it out and found it and watched it yeah so how did you come to it first what was your first experience of it oh when I was a kid I mean it's one of those movies that's sort of in the folds of my brain for whatever reason I think those those movies that are um uh, I, this movie and there's a movie called Let It Ride. So when you mm-hmm. when you called to ask me about what movies to rewatch, the first movie that pops in my head is a movie called Let It Ride because it, I have a weird fascination with that movie. So this is the Richard Dreyfuss horse racing picture, right? Which is a companion piece, I think, to this. They're both written by Jake Cronley, who is an uh, uh, an author who I grew up reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote that and Let It Ride in a movie called Funny Farm with right. Chevy Chase. Right. right. And um, they're all sort of a person running into a thousand characters like crazy characters in one day. Uh, if so. So, quick change is basically Bill Murray is a, a, a thief, or uh, basically comes in to rob a bank dressed as a clown, uh, and succeeds with the help of Randy Quaid and, Jen, and Gina Davis, and then basically he just has to, all he has to do is get away, yeah. just leave New York, and everything, all these crazy characters in New York sort of 
uh, accidentally become obstructions, and it's uh, sort of just a wild one day of him meeting crazy characters. Yeah, and it is—it's uh, incredibly well cast. Uh, oh. in, like you can start with Murray Quaid and, and Davis, who are just remarkable together and have mm-hmm. a, a fantastic chemistry. And, and now, of course, in the rearview mirror, Randy Quaid more or less appears to be playing himself <laughs> in the first half instead of in the second. That's right. He's yeah, yeah. Well, he's, he has a huge beard and he's acting like a crazy person. That's mm-hmm. correct. Just yeah. this madman. Uh, what do they call him? A crazy lumberjack? Or a, yeah, crazy lumberjack. They keep referring uh, to him as the crazy lumberjack. And uh, and then you have uh, the the opposite number, which is Jason Robards uh, in one of his last. Like leading performances, more or less. He's effectively the Tommy Lee Jones. Sure, and he comes in just as so much work based on his reputation of just being like, I'm good at my job, I'm going to be a very tough antagonist for everybody uh, because I'm good at my job and I'm Jason Robards. Yeah. So he has to do very little legwork to set up. It's almost perfect casting in that way. Yeah, and the economy of the film is something that strikes me every time. I mean, it wastes absolutely no time. It opens with him, with, with Murray getting off the well, getting on and getting off the subway to rob the bank. Yeah. It ends... The second the story stops, I mean, the opening is the perfect, like just Bill Murray in a clown suit with that mush of his (laughs) on a subway being kind of miserable. That's the thing about this movie. So, when you told me to rewatch a movie, I think that this movie is the perfect rewatch movie. One of the reasons is if you are a fan of modern day Bill Murray, sad sack Wes Anderson, uh, loss in translation Bill Murray, that is not reflected in necessarily Groundhog Day or Stripes or Ghostbusters or Scrooge or those are sort of wild wild men sleaze bags. Yeah, they're bigger. The, the, they're the origin bigger story of modern day Bill Murray is quick change Bill Murray. That's if you want to go back and look at where new Bill Murray came from, I feel like quick change is the one where it greatly refre- reflects where he ended up. He's sort of where he's this character that's a nice guy who has been beaten down by the world and sort of wears that on his face and his heart is beating just a little bit <laughs> and you just hold you, you the struggle is to get it beating more by the end of the movie that's St. Vincent you know yeah. Bill Murray and Lost Transition movie and that's so that's why it's a great movie to go back and look at and it seems to be a movie that he was a personal had a personal attachment to I mean he directed it and yeah. I think he's a, a um uh, uh, he's not he wrote it I he, think, I'm sure he, he worked on right. it I don't think that he takes a screen credit he does, right and so there's something very personal about this movie for him, and this is feels like more the first glimpse into who he actually is, or who he'll eventually become, at least. Yeah, and it, what's what's strange to me about the the way that that it fared in 1990 is that just as in 1984, when he made uh, the, the the Razor's Edge, mm-hmm. the only other film he directed, right, uh, and was also roundly resound, resoundingly rejected by audiences and critics. Critics were okay on Quick Change. I think it just got. Yeah, it was good reviewed. It just didn't make any money. Yeah, I think. there's a, there's an intimacy to it that people responded to, which is also present in the Razor's Edge, but no one was willing to extend it to him. Everyone wants to know Bill Murray a little bit. Everyone just wants to be close to Bill Murray, and so they'll take you know wild tap dancing, lounge singing Bill Murray, of course. But they kind of want to get, and that's why there's. I mean, why do you think Bill Murray now is such a such a beloved figure? Like it's a it's almost he's strangely beloved. Yeah. I think it's because he maintains the eccentricity. He maintains the mystery. Mm-hmm. Just the, you know, every six months you hear a story or you see the YouTube video of, oh, we slow walked through a room with Bill Murray and he right. was gracious enough to do it. I don't think he says yes a lot to, to anything. I mean, he's famously choosy about projects. Super aloof. He won't commit. He won't. Have you ever actually met him or worked? No. 
never seen him. <laughs> he's like a, he's, he's like a modern day Loki character. Or something. He just like pops up in weird karaoke rooms or steals your pizza and runs down the street. Like yeah. it's these strange lores that I that make him who he's he's this weird also section of like he's one of us where he's like been beaten by the world and he's blue collar mm. and he's not Hollywood because he's so aloof but also he's who we aspire to be it's not like I believe him to be the happiest guy in the world it's just that he's choosing to be the life of the party or steal my pizza or show up in a karaoke room and which is what so it's like this weird cross cross section of he's one of us but he's also what we aspire to be yeah. it's like this weird cloudy lore of Bill Murray yeah he is he is the I think yeah Loki's an interesting way to put it he's, <laughs> he is now a mythological figure yes that's even exactly though he's right. a person yeah um, I have yet to be in in a room with him. Uh, I I think I saw him around a corner once. Even if you were in a room with him, I don't know if you would be feel like you. Were I don't in a know room how it would work. Yeah, yeah. Um, everyone who I've ever met, who who I've ever interviewed, who's about working with him, uh, sat down with Melissa McCarthy at, at TIFF last year uh-huh. for St. Vincent, and she was just she said the same thing that everybody says, and she said it in a really great way. She said, "All you want to do is show him your trick. You want to say this is my thing. Watch me be funny too." And then you realize, oh, no, you just want to be in the moment with him. You actually don't want to show off because he can crush you. Right. <laughs> he's, you already, you, you know going in he's bigger than you are. Mm-hmm. He's better than you are. Uh, because he's Bill Murray and you've spent your entire life watching that. Um, and so the, the thrill of work, she, she communicated it beautifully. She just said the thrill of working with him is that you actually realize, oh, yeah, I'm in a scene with Bill Murray, but he's acting too. Like, he's not letting you do the work He's not standing still. What he does right. is really specific. I get that too. I, I get because he's so sort of generally effortless that he's it's it would put pressure on you to be like, well, I'm gonna yeah yeah. Let me show you. Let me show you. And he's just you can't do that. Yeah, I, I totally buy that. That's the big trap with him. And you get the sense in in Quick Change too that every single actor is responding to the opportunity not mm-hmm. to work with him because it's 25 years ago and he had, he was he was a legend but he wasn't a legend. He wasn't mm-hmm. you know superhuman yet. Uh, but you've got like maybe the second best cast assembled for an American comedy that decade after Galaxy Quest. That's the other reason why this is a great rewatch movie. Is you know, oh, like every any time. Great every guy who pops up for a scene yeah. is somebody who turned out to be a big, a big time deal. Yeah, I think, and they're was, hitting home runs. This was my first watch of it. Uh, we watched it a couple of weeks ago. And it was my first watch of it where I didn't recognize a new face. Like there, was, oh. I, I, nobody has broken since. <laughs> yeah, since the last. You, you time. never tapped it. Yeah. Well, but, it's like oh, Stanley Tucci and, yes. and uh, Tony Shalhoub, who are insanely funny in this movie <laughs> for their limited parts. Oh I mean, yeah. I mean, there's you watch it. I, I imagine you watched it at the time. You're like, well, there's no way this guy's not going to be a big deal and have his own show and win Emmys at someday. Like. Bluffed only, bluffed yeah. only. Like it's just he doesn't do anything except for be hilarious. And Stanley Tucci's. Yeah, he's uh, incredible. It's uh, just incredible. It's the it's the only time I think I've ever seen him with his hair like that. Uh, and, I know, and it's, uh, it's clearly for the part. You know, it's like no, no, don't do anything. Just you come in, we won't put a piece on you. Yeah, it's cra- like to have that on a dish. Be like, oh, weaselly sidekick guy, and or for the mob, and mm-hmm. play it that way, where he's just such a weak willed <laughs> wuss. Yeah. He's so funny in it. Well, all right, that, all right, all yeah. right. Yeah, just the fact that there's someone else that he's more scared of. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Instantly, who isn't? And it's it's another great way of introducing because first of all, you've got um, it's Bruno, right? Bruno's the enforcer. 
Uh, Mario. Mario, sorry. Mario's on his way. Mm-hmm. But like, don't bring that animal Mario back. <laughs> and then you also have Lombino, who hovers over this film throughout. That's I mean, right. Once he's introduced, he's the big bad that turns out to, of course, be... Well, if you're if you're listening, if you're still listening, I'm assuming yeah. you've watched. I think we're allowed this. to spoil yeah. Quick Change. And and Kurtwood Smith being Lambino mm-hmm. as Mr. Russ Crane is also like he's become a reverse heavy because at the time this was three years after RoboCop and there was no one who didn't go oh that guy yeah. right right exactly that's, that's the guy from RoboCop he kills people he looks like an accountant but <laughs> yeah. he kills people and then you get that '70s show and he suddenly became a comic actor I mean he always was a really versatile character actor but to watch it now is this weird sort of window back in time where Kurtwood Smith isn't playing like he's playing a light comic role but he's bringing the weight of Robocop with him right. except he's not anymore because now there's everything else he's done well there's a, there's a certain aspect like uh, and even Tony Shalhoub and Stanley Tucci are great actors mm-hmm. first they're not like Bill Murray didn't pile it on with comedians you can even say like Regina Davis as well sure. Randy Quaid's dramatic work is pretty underrated God, I think. yeah and so you have these guys that he didn't flood it with just sort of joke sniping comedians who come in I think with movies like this where you have to have an adventure where it's basically you're cobbling together eight six to eight weird set piece mm-hmm. strange events that happen you have to introduce whole full characters that are fully realized in seconds and then develop a huge problem around fully developed characters and that's what works so well, I think, is that, or one of the reasons it works so well is that Stanley Tucci's so great, and Tony Shalhoub, and Phil Hartman. Yeah. I mean, these aren't just... Uh, like, Phil Hartman was a Saturday Night Live guy, but he was always beyond a Saturday Night Live guy. Like, he was fully oh, formed characters on Saturday Night Live, was yeah. kind of his whole bit. He's like an inhabitor. Yeah, like that's right. And the bus driver, I forget his Philip name. Philip Bosco. Philip uh, Bosco, which yes. Is, which is an amazing performance because it's actually drier than Murray. Yeah, because uh, it wasn't until this viewing that I realized, oh, that's why. That's what makes it so funny is because they're both. They're, neither of them is raising their voice, and then it's Murray who cracks. Because again, he's orchestrated structurally. We get to the point where the thing that finally cracks him, the thing that finally sets him off, is someone who's even calmer than he is. That's right. That's in the exactly middle of right. This insane juggernaut. Uh, you know, I stop near the airport. It's such a, a magnificent line because Absolutely. it gives you nothing. And there's something. Eagleless about it as well. Like, well, as you say, Bill Murray is technically playing the straight man for everybody in this movie. He's the funniest thing in the movie because he's Bill Murray, but he's also to to put himself there and just be like, I'm just going to be a reactor for people. It's sort of what exactly what you want from a Bill Murray, an old Bill Murray movie. It's not him going crazy and necessarily yelling and screaming at everything. It's just him looking at a crazy person with his deadpan face and saying the perfect line. Yeah, finding out the one. The one thing to poke a situation. Yeah. It really is. I mean, it's a there's a Bugs Bunny quality to some of it. Sure. Except that Bugs is never on the losing end of an argument, mm-hmm. and Murray loses. Like Grimm loses a bunch of them in this film. And it has that innocence to it, uh, where I think it's a, a time capsule where comedies. There's no edge in this movie at all. Yeah. And you don't notice that until the. It's not a. La- it doesn't make the movie lacking in any way. There's. There's a few things that I think make this movie different than like now, where I think modern day comedies have a freneticness, where they're like afraid that you're going to stop watching, so just yeah. piling on with energy. So it's both juvenile and sort of got lots of sort of dark moments that pop up. These like Will Ferrell and, and Kevin Hart or whoever. I mean, those, those movies have a certain energy to them. This movie, they can't, they don't make movies like this anymore. They're sort of sitting back and just allowing you to lean forward into it as opposed to sort of throwing energy out at you. Yeah. Well, the mechanism of the film is very is very much the thing that's entertaining. It's, it's mm-hmm. the... Like, structurally, it's 
it seems like it would be incredibly complicated. There are a lot of locations. Once they leave the bank, it doesn't really stay anywhere for more than six or seven minutes. It just flies through That's every right. different place, every different situation. But the way that it still confines itself, I mean, it feels very claustrophobic because of the desperation of, of the three leads who simply want to get out of New York City. Uh, and I would have thought that was ridiculous, but there was a point, I was in New York for a press junket, I want to say 93 or 94, and I couldn't get a cab to LaGuardia. I, couldn't, I was in Times Square and I couldn't mm-hmm. get a cab out because the shift change had happened. And it wasn't until it actually, you know, there's this window in New York City Inevitably, between four and six p.m., where the shifts, where the cab shifts change, and they don't want to go on a long ride because they won't get home for another hour and a half. Right. Like it adds on more time. So I had a guy actually tell me, "Oh, I don't know the way to LaGuardia in Times Square," and I was like, oh. I, "I'm pretty sure I could get you there." But that was the like that's the obstinacy that like the, the sheer blunt force lying. There of, seems to be something very real behind Bill Murray actually hating New York. Yeah, you that's, get the feeling. Yeah, you that, get the feeling that he does not. This is New York is the total villain of the piece. And you get the feeling that Bill Murray is relishing the fact that he's <laughs> making New York look like the shithole he believes it to be. Yeah, and this is pre-Disney, pre-Giuliani. This is the old, crumbling infrastructure hellhole of New York, where at the time, I mean, I was there around the same time, mm-hmm. and I love it. Uh, I love it now. It's my, my, the happiest place on earth, sure. as, as it were. But um, you could feel the sense of just, just the sheer impatience of it not being better. Everybody in everybody in Quick Change is reacting on the same thing, which is like I have my thing to do, and, and nobody cares about anybody else. Yeah, and even the like the the the, the construction work is like today's uh, just taking shit down, tomorrow's putting shit up. <laughs> That's right. The, the sheer lack of attention to anything other than the task at hand, and people are like that lady's been screaming at us. She got her baby to scream at us. Like it's an affront. That's right. Yeah, like, everybody's personally offended at everybody else for no reason, and there's also this idea of, of scumminess that. You know, they get on the bus and there's that lady who's just shaving yes. the guy's head. Yeah. Uh, you can't... If you were to put that in a movie today or, like, be like, this is what New York is, you'd have to stop and address... Like, the fact that Bill Murray just walks past it yeah. while saying a line as a throwaway, that captures what New York was at that time, where it was just deviants and <laughs> weirdos from top to bottom. Yeah. There's that... The, and the weirdness that sort of bubbles up, too, in, and... and gets in the way of the characters as much as they get in the way of everyone else's uh, day. There's mm-hmm. there's that, just the sequence where they, they stumble on the jousters. And oh. again, you know, it, the movie stops dead, it breathes for that moment, the music comes up, you have the, 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 we get to watch their ritual before they actually do it, and then we figure out what's happening. It, it, it makes me laugh every time, even though I know it's, I know exactly what's coming, I even know the music cue at this point, and it's just... There is this moment. like That feels more like Bill Murray's sensibility than anything else. Absolutely. I am going to make you watch this weird thing that I find fascinating for 90 seconds. Yes. And, and then, all the people watching, like the yeah. lady with the rose and the beads, and this, the, the, the guy gets the bike and throws it down. It's yeah. just such a portrait of that's very specific to the wackiness of Bill Murray that he can throw in this movie whenever he wants. Yeah. And then it's echoed later with uh, the Flowers for the Dead. Yes. Which yes, is yes. such a, again... It comes out of another movie. It comes out of another influence. There's just this this strange intrusion of something else, something totally other that happens two or three times in the course of the film. And it's it's this weird glee in showing us the ninety degree angle from what we were seeing, mm-hmm. like how how their lives for a moment their their story doesn't really matter because this is happening and everybody has to stop and watch. It's it's like being 
taken like it's being taken by the hand which is the the, the thing that Jason Robards does a couple of times to the side. I know that's so weird that he does that yeah. it's great and it's like it's a validation for him in a weird way like he's showing people that he's still he's still working the case or he's still on it yep. but it feels so childlike and gleeful that's right um, and, and that like that's how I perceive quick change is just you're being led along to all these individual moments by someone who can't wait to show you not this one but two two down the road that also yeah and it, it keys into the mischievousness of Bill Murray, yeah. which we were talking about before, like when he has to pretend to be, he's playing a guy who has to pretend to be a dangerous bank robber. There's such a gleeful, like he's really enjoying it. Yeah. There, nobody commits harder to not being fully committed <laughs> than Bill Murray. Like it's almost like winking to the camera, but not quite. I mean, him parading around pretending to be a crazy person in that bank I mean it's that's it's one of the greatest half hour like it's so funny to me that opening half hour of, of him in a clown suit robbing a bank yeah hey it's Norm interrupting my own show to tell you about the latest shiny things newsletter my inconsistent irregular dispatch about physical media culture and the odd streaming thing this week, I'm looking at The Flash as well as the new 4K editions of Roman Holiday and Weird Science, which have this one odd thing in common, and some excellent imprint box sets. Subscribe for the price of a latte at shiny-things.ghost.io or find a link at the Sandcast Twitter account. You like reading about movies, I like writing about them. Come check it out. And we know, I mean, we know going in... Um between the music cues mm-hmm. and his timing that there's no threat to anyone. That's right. And everyone else has to take it. I mean, the SWAT guys, like, in, watching a movie set in New York pre-9-11, anything mm-hmm. is going to be a weird sort of disconnected Yeah, experience. like, they, they were up nine minutes before their flight. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, just, oh, God, we got the there. That you Good. walk onto a plane. <laughs> and it's it's uh, it's JFK, which is even, like, LaGuardia is hell on earth. Sure. Today, but JFK is still pretty hard to navigate. Just the idea that anything like that was possible. There is a reference to security. They'll never let us through the x-ray machines with, with our guns. It's like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> yeah. Can't take a gun to the airport. Yeah. These terrorists made it real hard on us bank robbers. Yeah. I'm still not even sure which terrorists they were referring to. <laughs> right, right. But that also kind of, there is a there is a weird sort of timelessness to the apathy of New York City. Mm-hmm. And how every time I go there, it feels like I should just stay because my cynicism matches its cynicism. <laughs> and I still know, you know, you still know where to get a good ha- uh, hamburger, but, but in, the, the version of New York is like the sort of Murphy's Law universe where absolutely everything is going to go wrong. But the city can't break you if you've already decided to leave. That's I think like that's what carries Murray out. Interesting. Yes, yes. Well, that's the thing with these these weird these um these movies that have sort of one event over a night that are sort of one wild night is it seems like structurally you just have to string a bunch of events together. But it's kind of a lot more than you have to have sort of a theme underneath about why they want to leave that's constantly being reinforced. And then they have this B storyline where you know. The personal relationships have to arc over the course of the night in this mm-hmm. matching way, which I think they bounce that ball real good with like Gina Davis not sure about her relationship with Bill Murray. These movies are weirdly complex. I think if, especially when you rewatch them a few times, like the first time you see them, you get wrapped up in the sure. joy of it, and then you watch it and you're like, this is, this is takes some work and some construction to actually make all these balls sort of float around all at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I think about Scorsese's After Hours. Yes, another after, it's a perfect like, great example. Great compression New York movie. That's right. Uh, which was only what, like four years earlier? 
but but completely different emotionally. See, yeah. or five years ago, I guess it was eighty-five. Um, emotionally, it's just harrowing. People die, uh, <laughs> and it's still funny. Yes, but it's, but it's like a completely different desperation, and it's the opposite. He just wants to get home. He wants to get out of Soho, right, or the Lower East Side. Uh, and at a time like even four years later, and five years later, when they made Quick Change, it's it's a different New York again. Like the, the sort of the Blank City Revolution had already happened, and the gentrification was just starting. And you know, Giuliani hadn't arrived yet, but they were gonna clean up all the homeless people and turn them into hot dogs and do whatever it is they did. <laughs> is that true? We still don't know. Uh, there is huh. a, there's like a great weird cynical horror movie to be made about the gentrification of That's New York hilarious. City. That's um, hilarious. And it was a year after Do the Right Thing and Ghostbusters 2, two very different versions, visions of, of New, New York. York. Uh, and Ghostbusters 2, like, it's people don't like it as much, I guess. Uh, you can say that I fairly. I certainly don't. I, I think there's some really great ideas in it. And, sure, listen, listen. Uh, it, but the vision of New York City, I think, is what, in a weird way, I feel like Murray had that in his back pocket when he was working on Quick Change, because in Ghostbusters 2, like, the whole thing is the hostility of New York City creating more ghosts and making the slime angry mm-hmm. and all the other stuff happening. And it ends with this big, ridiculous set piece the big big finale of Ghostbusters 2 is the guys riding the Statue of Liberty into New York City uh, because of the slime that's making everyone sing your love is lifting me higher and it is so preposterous and ludicrous that you can just see Murray going yeah uh, I have a better idea yeah 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 well and, yeah New York is sort of the perfect uh, set piece and villain just because everyone's familiar with it and everyone has a relationship with it and if you, if you love it the thing you love about it is that it's a difficult pain in the ass. Yeah. You can still paint it as a pain in the ass bad guy in your movie, like Murray does, and assuming Murray doesn't isn't a huge fan of New York, let's say. But I mean you can make it there, you can make it anywhere is something New Yorkers love about their city. That is not a compliment. You that's like <laughs> That's right. That's it's basically saying that this city is going to try and beat the shit out of you at any at all all the time. Yeah. I don't know. Can I swear on this thing? Yeah, sure. We Great. have the explicit tag on. Okay, good. Um, but yeah, it's it's it fits in really well. No one ever talks about Quick Change in the same window of of cinema as the other two great New York heist pictures, the Taking Pelham One Two Three mm-hmm. and Dog Day Afternoon. But it really, I mean, they're very very similar. He's ta- he's, he's, he's seen. Th- yeah, Quick Change is is really hitting those. He's like, you like those movies? Well, this is that only filled with joy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they really feel Dog Day Afternoon. Clearly, I mean, it's it's very direct. And Taking Pelham One Two Three. I mean, just Walter Matthau's face and Bill Murray's face have this. I yeah. mean, it's very similar sort of hangdog. Like, well, yeah. here we are. I always yeah. assumed that the subway was a deliberate. Like the fact that he takes the subway at the beginning of the film mm-hmm. was a deliberate hom- uh, homage, even if it's only because. You know, you're carrying explosives. You don't want to get in a cab for some reason. Like, the, right. he, he would distrust cabs on Park Avenue for for whatever reason. It's just there's this sort of working class misery to it, uh, to the point where in the film, like, we never even find out what it is he does. There's an allusion to him working as a city planner. Yes, but he's clearly smarter than that, or he's been trapped in the right. kind of that level of job. Yes, uh, but it doesn't even matter. Like that, that's 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 the yeah, Murray we, aspect of it. We, it's it's really on his human. face that whatever he's been doing, it's a beneath him and b. Uh, he he's been beaten up by it. Yeah, he's just weary with the world, and uh, it's no one does that better than him. It's yeah. just great to put him into places, and he he just takes you by that. He makes you feel better. If if what you like about Bill Murray is you feel better after at the at the end of a Bill Murray movie, this is I think 
again, the origin of that, where he's like, just just hang out with me. He, it's not like Scrooge, where he starts off as a maniacal sleazebag and then ends up singing Christmas carols band in the movie. Yeah. He's the same guy from the beginning to the end. It's just a small difference, and that's that's much more modern-day Wes Anderson, Bill Murray. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, actually, the stuff that he made between Quick Change and Rushmore, and it's... Ultimately, it's like supporting guys now. Yeah, a couple of leading roles. Well, there's Groundhog Day, obviously, sure. still two years out. But then after that, there's uh, The Man Who Knew Too Little and, and um, right. Larger That's Than Life. That's with these guys, too, I think, right? Isn't that with Franklin uh, again? I think it might have been, yeah. yeah. And you can just... His heart's not in it. It's not a bad movie. It's kind of a weird... He seems to be finding himself a little bit. Where he's like, oh, this is what people want, but I don't know. Am I a guy who's just like... Uh, is there something wound up about all those characters that doesn't feel like he's into doing that anymore. Yeah, you feel like he's moved on. Mm-hmm. I mean, not in Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day is a, a great kind of valedictory performance of old Bill Murray stuff. Sure. It's the, 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 it's like the salad bar. You get every single part of him that you like, and it can, you can leave right. stuff behind that doesn't work. But he was notoriously miserable during Groundhog Day. I still don't understand that. Yeah, he and Ramus had a falling out. They yeah. didn't speak to each other so for strange. years. So strange. I guess he just did. I mean, I don't know. Can't, I, can't, we, I mean, we cannot know. We cannot, yeah, we cannot yeah. know the shadows and mysteries of Bill Murray. It's fascinating that, like, that this just by the fact that he directed this, co-directed this, mm-hmm. and directed uh, *The Razor's Edge*. Those are his personal films. Like, those are the films that we can read into uh, at, and search for meaning. I mean, that's my thing. Absolutely. Like, as, a, as a tourist critic, I have to look for reasoning and choices. And at the same time, yeah, they're unknowable. I, they're, there's clearly a very specific sense of humor at work. Mm-hmm. And there's a sense of irony that he loves uh, in both The Razor's Edge and, and Quick Change. But Quick Change, as you say, it's a film about joy. It's a film about sharing. Uh, these <laughs> yeah. are all my favorite things. These are my. These are the actors I'm having the most fun playing with. Mm-hmm. Even just that weird little scene where he waits for someone to count uh, change and, and uh, bills oh, yeah. in the bodega. That is... There's no way that's over in a minute and a half. And there's a ticking clock that's oh, I know. like, you have 78 seconds, sir. It's really bizarrely long. And it just goes on and on and on, but it's so pleasurable. And he even edits that in a way where there's like a good 20 seconds where he's just staring at the yeah. woman in front of him. Yeah. And it's so funny. It is. I was like, this shouldn't, the, the, the pace of this should not allow for a Bill Murray unblinking stare at a slow lady. But it's, I mean, you had to have it in there. Yeah. No, it's a, there's a, this this magnificent pleasure of this film mm-hmm. and again it's over in 89 minutes there's not an ounce of fat on it which is incredible um, films by actors tend to be pretty long because right. they like performances they keep things not necessarily their own but you just you can feel people um, filmmakers uh, responding to an to an emotion to an honest moment and just doing everything they can to make that moment last here and there quick change is merciless like it just doesn't have time for anything that doesn't support the plot and yet it's so full at yeah. that tiny little 89 minute window and because it has an easiness it almost feels you know um, Bob Elliott is, is plays the security guard mm-hmm. and he's like got a, he's an old time sort of comedic sensibility and there's that's there's an idea of like a craftsmanship to the jokes there's nothing it's not fast and loose like um, you know I love comedy today I think we're in a golden age of comedy but you look at Judge Apatow movies or, or any of these like Kristen Wiig or or Will Ferrell, whoever, or Vince Vaughn, they're, everything's fast and loose, mm-hmm. and that's sort of what we get off on. But here, it's not. There's nothing loose, but nothing feels tight either. It's just sort of like uh, craftsman. Every scene has arcs to a joke, comes back down. Like it's there's there's no fat anywhere, and that's why it's sort of a just a like I don't want to say gentle, but there's something so easy about watching it that feels so refreshing now. Yeah. That maybe at the time felt 
edgeless or flaccid or something. I don't know why people didn't go see it. It didn't have a hook. Like, I don't know how you sell this movie, maybe, in a trailer. But uh, when you watch it now, there's something so new and exciting about it. Yeah, there's... Um, I mean, I remember the poster was so minimalist. It was just... I had it in my room. Yeah, just the him clown makeup. Yeah, it was balloons. just a white poster with him standing with the balloon. I can't tell if the balloon, balloon might have been deflated and just had their names in huge font. Yeah. Four names. And that was the whole poster. Yeah, and it opened, what, two weeks after Dick Tracy and no one had any time for it. It just got... Right. And Die Hard 2 was that summer... It's, I remember reading an interview with him where he was like talking about what Warren Beatty had to do to sell Dick Tracy. And he was like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> like, he just was like, look at what this guy has to do. Like, this guy is a amazing filmmaker, but he has to run around and go on every talk show. Like, that's not fair to him. Just yeah. go see Dick Tracy. Like, what? I'm not going to do that for a quick change. It's a good movie. Yeah. Well, it is. He was right. Absolutely. Uh, totally right. 25 years later, which is unthinkable to me uh oh god it is a quarter century like this summer is the 25th anniversary of a lot of movies that feel pretty fresh mm -hmm. in my mind um because i i mean i was i would have been 22 when when quick change 21 when quick change came out and uh it's hard to wrap that uh, my head around that we've all grown up the, like the movie hasn't really aged because other than cell phones and and you right. know more cell sophisticated televisions yeah, yeah. You could Uber it. You could Uber your way home. Easy. Although now someone will try to remake. There'll be a, like a webcam comedy version of an Uber. Oh, God. Trying to get out of town. Someone's, someone's probably already done it. Um, actually, Broad City has a great episode about trying to get out of New York. Oh, yeah. Uh, no no bank robbery situation. But uh, in the first season, they're trying. the characters are trying to leave for a wedding. And they start by going to the wrong train station. They go to Grand Central and they should go to Penn. Mm. And... It's steeped in the misery of public transit and the sense of desperation that comes with knowing you can't afford to take a cab. Right. And that's like that's something that you can do when you're in your 20s. I think that's also why Snowpiercer I liked so much. I was like, all right, <laughs> yeah, trains are the worst. Yes, <laughs> I missed never... the whole point of the movie, but the class system, I was just like, oh, trains, though, guys, trains, <laughs> am I right? And you can never yes. get off. So cramped. <laughs> The one thing about Snow... You know, like somebody really needs to do a smell version of Snowpiercer. Oh, that, like a scratch Those people sniff. must have been foul. Oh, yeah. It, it hit me. There's a point... Somebody was telling me... It might have even been Evans, actually. They, the, the level of... Um, small digression. The, the <laughs> level of costume that they had to come up with for Chris Evans, because these characters are all supposed to be emaciated. They've been on the train together for 17 years. They're subsisting on cockroach bars. Right. Uh, spoiler for Snowpiercer. <laughs> and, um, and Evans came right off the Avengers. So he's built... He's huge. Um, in fact, when he uh, in the in the tag at the Avengers where they're all eating shawarma at the end, he has to keep his hand over his face for the entire thing because they glued on a fake face. This he talked about on an episode of Doug Loves Movies. What? Well, he had a beard, and Cap doesn't have a beard, oh. so he couldn't shave the beard because he came in from Snowpiercer to shoot this little tag. And so he is, he actually at one point, you can see it, if you're looking for it, it's really obvious, he moves his hand even further over the shawarma he's holding to his face to cover the possibility that this fake skin thing they grafted over him might show through. That's hilarious. So he's this huge guy dressed in like three layers of everything and he was smothering the whole time because it was not a cold set. I feel like this is the kind of thing that never happened in the movies of the 90s, the early 90s. Yeah. There was no CGI beards. Yeah. It was, it would all, like there's something about it almost, it almost feels like a, a play or something, like just like a, a fun um it's like a review or something. There's something Catskillsy about quick yeah. change. Well, they must have. I mean, they must have rehearsed the crap out of it. Too, That's yeah. Because there's just no like, it's everything is so interconnected and so desperately you know 
one joke piled on top. The timing of that thing is, it is a Swiss watch. A Swiss watch is fantastic. Right. And I, I wonder what you were saying about um, comedies getting more flaily and, and looser and wilder. Mm-hmm. I just suspect it's digital. I think when you have unlimited Absolutely. stock, right, you can just keep throwing keep, lines at people. Yeah, all lines and you can work it out in the editing room. There's nothing worked out in the editing room in this movie. I mean, mm-hmm. there's there's walk and talks that are, that are that go that have ebbs and flows. Like, it's not, the jokes aren't being formed in the editing room. They clearly work on the floor. And uh, that's another thing. I mean, it's another reason to watch this movie. Everybody should be watching this movie. I agree completely. So before we check out, I want to do the like the basic, the the artist inquiry. I have no idea what we're going to end up calling this segment, but oh. I really, what fascinates me about the people, uh, everyone who I've approached for this so far has given me a, a choice I wouldn't have seen coming. So, is there something about it that you use? As an actor, as a writer, is there something you rely on? I mean, like the the uh, qu- from Quick Change or some something you learned from it? Uh, I can't even unconscious. I know. Well, s- certainly, like when I rewatch, I rewatched this week, and we've got um, a couple scripts now that have been optioned, and it's. I was almost worried. <laughs> I was like, oh, I didn't realize that this kind of bit is very reminiscent of this bit, and that like it's direct. Um, you know, they're both. Certainly, the city as a villain is mm-hmm. something that when I write, I L.A. Complex, which was a show that uh, I was a writer and producer on, Los Angeles was the villain very much the same way New York was the villain. Right. And um, well, the culture. I mean, it was basically a parasitic kind of relationship that every human being that came in would be eaten right. or diminished in That's some right. way. That's right. And they come in with these big stars in their eyes, and and Los Angeles is like, yeah, you've been lied to. That's not what happens. <laughs> Paul F. Tompkins will be mean to me. <laughs> exactly. But in you a really be... charming way. <laughs> well, that's his way. <laughs> um, uh, and that's also in in, in various other things uh, that I, I've written. There's also something about um, uh, just Bill Murray in general, this kind of Bill Murray. I think when people try to emulate or learn from the other, you know, Groundhog Day is not a thing that actors can necessarily learn because it's a yeah. it takes an all it take, it's a different thing that he's doing you can not anybody can do that yeah it's the what do they call it the non-repeating phenomenon that's right but the um the quiet resonance of bill murray is something that i'm always chasing especially when you know i play a lot of guys who just talk too much and uh, there's something about him where he says so much without saying anything that you can that's always what I'm trying to learn. That's why I knew Bill Murray is so fascinating to me because he's wearing it so well, and that seems to be what he's always tried to do. Um, so that's the other thing I sort of take from these these movies, and and just '90s comedies are so clean and yeah. It's there's something about you know I think since Wedding Crashers, everybody feels like they can make their comedies better by by making up a bunch of stuff, not realizing that Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson are fucking amazing at it and that's not something that shit everybody should be doing they're like oh this is the style we do this now and they're like no that's what they should be doing because they can make it work and that's not to say I can't it's just that that's it's 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 become a crutch it's swung so hard the other way that people are like well eventually we'll just we'll all keep talking until an editor can pick out a joke every once in a while yeah and there's something about working up where we get there rehearsing it you know, to death and trying to figure out how things work on the floor so that they can work on film and in the editing room and so that it's it's you have a little bit more control over what's what's gonna happen. Yeah. And so the um the takeaway here obviously for people listening is that quick change is great and people should see it. This mm-hmm. is the first um the the first episode uh where I've agreed 
with somebody that's going, right yeah, going the, in because Anne's uh, suggestion of American Hustle I'm pretty sure was just just a, just a fight to with, fuck you. with me yeah, 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 yeah just like let's start off on a weird <laughs> let's see what you can handle uh, but yeah no I uh, it's it is a delightful film it's only available on DVD in North America somehow there's been no Blu-ray release hopefully this will you know at least push a button to push a button to push a button sure. somewhere down the line and get people talking about it again 25th anniversary Blu-ray can't be that hard um we can we'll find people is it on Netflix uh, I don't know I looked for not on Netflix Canada when I looked oh my god uh, I had to pull out my old DVD which is um, that's what know, I did do it's, it's ridiculous I, I'm hoping that you know everybody has it I think <laughs> it's one of those movies where people shouldn't have to look too hard for it because hopefully you've already got it somewhere in one of those multi-pack Bill Murray packages from, from the, the late 90s or the early 2000s or this one let it ride and um, I bought three Oh, cassettes yeah, right away. The third one what? was the third one you mentioned is the well, only, Funny Farm. Funny I, Farm I, is I, the I, only I, one that's on Blu-ray. I don't like Funny Farm that much. I mean, I love Funny Farm. I love Jake Crowley, but it's, of the three, Let It Ride is the companion piece for this guy. Yeah, it's uh, Let It Ride's a good one. I, 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 nobody likes it quite like I do. It's a weird. That's why I didn't want to come on here and start talking about Let It Ride. I just would get <laughs> immediately. I would weird you out quick. No, no, no. That's what I'm saying. Like every single person who's come up with something for this has been a genuine surprise. And I love the idea of trying to work it into the filmography and figuring out, I mean, well, quick change. Young people fucking is very vignette mm-hmm. So, you know, you, there, there's a, there's, there's going to be an economy of character that maybe he got from this, that kind of thing. But, uh, there's, yeah, there's something about that. Yeah. I think just the economy of everything, uh, to sort of, if it works where there's no fat and there's, it's clean and simple, on the page, then maybe you can add weird looks, or you certainly that allows you to get away with things like jousting. Right. If you have a, a if the script if if the script was madness, then you couldn't do jousting, and you couldn't you'd have to make a meal of a guy getting his head shaved on the bus. You'd have to make a meal of it. Right. The fact that it's all so much of it is those Bill Murray throwaways, um, it, it really gets a a look into his sensibility and just like a look on how things used to work once upon a time. Yeah. I would like to believe that the takeaway from Quick Change is this is how Bill Murray sees the world. Like, every Can now and just, then, he'll yeah. bumble into that. Well, it certainly is a, a, a reason to rewatch it if your desire is to know more about Bill Murray, which seems to be everyone's desire. I should say. This is must-watch viewing. Yeah. This is an, an origin story for the superhero that is Bill Murray today. <laughs> Murray Man. Murray Man. My thanks once again to Aaron Abrams, who was kind enough to take a flyer on a new podcast with a relative stranger back when he was shooting some very long days on Hannibal. And if you haven't already heard it, search the podcast feed for Aaron's episode with Ennis Esmer on the James Bond franchise. It's a goddamn delight. And of course you can see Aaron and Ennis together in Children Ruin Everything, Mondays at 9pm on The CW in the US and on CTV in Canada too. It's also streaming right now in Canada at ctv.ca and on Crave. Also, at long, long last, Young People Fucking is available to rent or purchase on Apple TV and YouTube. You should still be able to find Aaron on Twitter at Mr. Aaron Abrams, that's M-R-A-A-R-O-N-A-B-R-A-M-S, and you can find Quick Change on Blu-ray and DVD from Warner Home Entertainment and streaming for free in the U.S. on Canopy, Tubi, and the Roku channel. It's also available to rent or buy on various VOD platforms. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner, and you can find this podcast there at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. The first year of the podcast is still available for just 20 bucks at payhip.com slash semcast. That's the first 52 episodes of Someone Else's Movie, 43 of which aren't currently available anywhere else. And check out my newsletter, Shiny Things, at shiny-things.ghost.io. I think you'll enjoy it. Our theme song is by the last year. If you like it, or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review wherever you've been listening. Every little bit helps, it truly does. 
and check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're doing that. Stay safe, watch movies, wear a mask if you go out, get your booster when you can. I'll see you next week.